Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss. A tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. Wilson, right hand. Welcome, fight fans, to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast Legendary Nights. And today's episode is voted for by you, the listeners, and the followers on Twitter. And the poll is the tale of marvellous Marvin Hagler versus Sugar Ray Leonard from way back in 1987 for the WBC Middleweight Championship of the World. Before we get into the episode, however, please go and find us on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook as well. Also, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do by going on Apple Podcasts on your iPhone, subscribing to get all the latest episodes of Legendary Nights, plus all the other series that we're running. If you don't use Apple iPhone and you're using Android, there's plenty of apps out there that were on Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, even Spotify, and even Eat Sleep Boxing Repeats YouTube channel as well. So this is it, as voted for by you. This is the tale of marvellous Marvin Hagler versus Sugar Ray Leonard for the WBC middleweight Championship of the World from 1987. I've been looking forward to this fight for years. This is not a career for me. This is one fight. This is a dream, a dream that has become a reality. I am the best fighter in the world. The reason I will win is because you don't think I can. So it's April the 6th, 1987. It's the super fight between marvellous Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard. Johnston, one of the greatest fights of all time, one of the greatest nights, 
and it's come up for legendary nights and a fight I'm very much excited to talk about. Same here, Sean. Uh, really, really great fight, uh, as you say, 1987 in, in the car park at Caesars Palace to accommodate those uh, thousands of attendants that wanted to watch this fight because it was such a super fight. Um, very controversial, but um, also very entertaining uh, against, you know, with, with two of the the best fighters, you know, in the history of the sport. So really looking forward to cracking with this one. So, as always, we will be covering the legendary nights, Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler super fight, in the same fashion as we always do. We're going to be talking about a little bit into their careers leading up to for this particular fight. We'll talk about the build-up for the fight, and we'll also cover off the fight breakdown and the aftermath for both men. So, let's start then. Let's go with Marvin Hagler's career first, because this is the second time Marvin's come up in in the Legendary Night series, the first one being Hagler Hearns. I think that might have been the very first episode, if memory serves me correctly. So it's good to see Marvin back in the Legendary Night series. And obviously, it's great to be talking about his career, such an established career, such a great career that he had. And this particular fight that we're going to touch on today, and it's the, it's the last fight he ever had professionally, which is, I know, something we'll touch on in the aftermath, but it's crazy to think that this is the super fight between these two fighters and this was the last fight of Marvin Hagler's career against Ray Leonard so going back to the last couple of fights before this fight happened we've covered one already the legendary knights Hagler Hearns the Hearns in 1985 was such a fantastic fight one of the best fights I have ever seen oh I'm I'm real fight um Tommy Hearns fight I mean that first round in particular, I mean, I mean, the whole three rounds was 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 amazing, but that first round in particular was just unbelievable. Um, we're talking about, I mean, Hitman Hearns here. For me, he was uh, one of the most, the, one of the best aggressive fighters that's ever lived. The guy, uh, yeah, his shot selection was unreal. So we're talking about Tommy Hearns. Fair enough, you know, he fought him. Uh, I think he was a middleweight. I'm, I'm taking a punt here. I'm sure it was. Yeah, um, it was because obviously with, with Hagler being the middleweight. But for me, Hitman Hearns, he, he was probably one of the best light middleweights that's ever lived. At one one five four, he was phenomenal. He was absolutely outstanding fighter. Um, but what a fight. Absolutely outstanding fight. And, and one that will long, long live in the memory. Um, and, and even the commentator, Al Michael, was famously said the line it didn't go very far but it was a beauty <laughs> it's certainly right and the next fight before we got to the Ray Leonard fight was another brutal war for Marvin Hagler it was John McGarvey and another fight which if listeners if you've not seen this fight with Hagler and McGarvey it's an absolute cracking fight if you think Hagler Hearns was amazing this is just as good this is just an underrated fight for my opinion because of how big Hagler Hearns was and how much of a lasting legacy it's left. The Mugabe fight for for a lot of the wider audience completely gets forgotten about. But if you're a, a you know a hardcore boxing fan like ourselves, we know about it. We know how good of a fight the Mugabe fight was and how much of a, a tough fight it was for Marvin Hagler as well. And it's one that kind of makes you feel a little bit like Hagler took some real real tough nights in the lead up to the fight with Ray Leonard. And it's something I I'll touch on a little bit later. But I feel like like the two fights in particular, Hearns and Mugabe, were the two fights, ironically, that he had before he fought Ray Leonard. But they were two very, very tough nights for him, I think. I think he was involved in some absolute wars. And, and the, these were the, the, the pinnacle of, of his career for me. 
the, them two fights were the pinnacle of his career before he came into the super fight with Ray Leonard. So the Mugabe fight, what a fight that was, Johnston. Watching back on that particular fight, would you say it's one of them fights that is underrated? Absolutely, yeah, it, it really is. Um, I, I mean, John McGarvey was, uh, you know, he was 25 and I with 25 knockouts. So, you know, he come with a lot. Um, obviously, you know, his opposition in those 25 fights were, you know, they were slightly underrated in terms of what Hagler had faced. But, you know, John McGarvey was, was a fantastic fighter. Um, he was actually, you know, he was U- Ugandan, wasn't he? And he actually moved over to London to train with Mickey Duff. So, you know, he, he, although... Um, he was Ugandan. He was he was almost one of our own, if you like. But you know, he was he, he unfortunately he was named he was he was named Mugabe as well, which always makes me laugh after the old you know the bastard uh, president uh, Mugabe. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it was an excellent. You know, it was a, it was a great great scrap. Um, I mean, Hagler beforehand there was there was a war of words and sort of Hagler said he's he, you know. He, um, Mugabe was known as the beast and he said he's going to feast on the beast so <laughs> he, he didn't quite do that um, but it was a brutal fight which uh, you know I think Hagler was was starting to show signs of wear and tear um, throughout his career he had a long career you know it's only 62 fights you know all 62 wins two losses and two draws so you know it was in the back end of his career um, but you know the fight was actually supposed to take place um in 85 but had done his back in and then it happened in 86 but there, there is a there's a couple of things I've just got a point before we move on Sean uh, there, there is a, a story I picked up actually in the Four King book which uh, did make me laugh so as, as I mentioned uh, Mickey Duff was Mugabe uh, he was his trainer um, Mugabe was actually Matt, uh, early on in his career against a guy called uh, Curtis Ramsey on the Don King that, that old Don King keeps popping back up again um, <laughs> He was uh, he was on the Atlantic City card. Um, basically, uh, Duffy was trying to get Mugabe on one of Don King's cards to give him some exposure in America. So um, the fight takes place. It, so it, it's sort of I think it's about his tenth fight, Mugabe's tenth fight, um, uh, and Duff had to leave. So he left George Francis in charge of Mugabe, um, and he told uh, George to give him a call once once the fight had been finished and let him know uh, sort of how it went. So George rings up uh, uh, Duff while he's sort of back at London um, and basically John had uh, knocked Ramsey out in the first round um, he said that he actually hit him so hard that he knocked Ramsey and referee Larry Hazard out of the ring onto the press table so you know he, he got his point across um, so Don King uh, got on the blower um, as he does spoke to Mickey said, said he says hey Mickey I'm in in terms of I'm going to join up with you with Mugabe he said uh, you know I had a little talk with uh, Mugabe after the fight and he says uh, he wants to go with me but of course I've told him that we're in this together so Duff sort of allowed King to waffle on um, as Duff said he sort of said uh, let him uh, get it all out and then uh, Duff responds with uh, Don if that conversation took place then you must be fluent in Sungali because the lad don't speak a word of English <laughs> So it's just a little, a little pointer from the four kings. But yeah, Mugabe was a top, top fighter and, and a Hagler cook. I'll tell you what, it was, a, it was a tough fight. It was a tough fight for him. And it was one where I was alluding to the fact where I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It was where you start to see signs of a little bit of wear and tear with two you know, brilliant fights in the space of 12 months where you know they're, they're the type of fight. They're career shortening fights, aren't they? That's what they say. They're career shortening fights. And they were definitely career shortening fights for, for, for Hagler. Obviously, he was going into, uh, like you said, a long, long career. You know, he, he'd had so many many fights 
at this point before the Ray Leonard fight that eventually you know things would catch up with him and it was not expected to catch up with him in this particular fight with Ray Leonard because obviously at this point Hagler is the beast he's the one of the division he's the one that rules the division he's the one that people fear in the division and Ray for Ray Leonard it was a different story really looking at Ray Leonard's career because obviously he was in and out of the ring a lot you know throughout the 80s the late 70s fantastic he obviously did well in the Olympics of course comes through has some great fights has a great fight with Tommy Hearns and Roberto Duran in 80 and 81 Uh, and then obviously we got to look at some of the other fights he was you know involved in in the lead up to that he after the Hearns fight he had another fight against Bruce Finch which was to defend the WBC and WBA welterweight titles and then after that he didn't fight for two years and then he come back and fought Kevin Howard, which was which was basically this was an <laughs> this was like the start of his you know retirements and unretirements, and obviously he comes back and he beats Kevin Howard after two years out of the ring. Then when beating Kevin Howard, he retires. He says, "That's it. I'm done and dusted for boxing. I don't want anything more to do with it." And then we get to the Marvin Hagler. John Mugabe fight and he sat there ringside and he's watching this fight and he sat alongside one of the biggest stars of the 80s at the time Michael J Fox and he sat there and Leonard said we were sitting there having a few beers and I'm watching John the Beast Mugabe outbox Hagler of all people John the Beast Mugabe now I'd had a few beers at this point and I said to Michael Michael I can beat Hagler and he said Ray do you want another beer and he said (laughs) yes I yes I do but I can beat Hagler so that was the first time where he'd started to have these thoughts about the fact that he felt, you know, looking at this guy Hagler in the ring, he's not as feared as, as what people make him out to be. You know, Leonard saw something in him watching the fight with Mugabe, which is what we were talking about. He saw something in him, shot worn a little bit maybe. Maybe he was he was he was a little bit limited in in what he could do against a guy like Ray Leonard. So he decides at this point Mm, he's, you know, he's sort of toying with the idea of coming back. And then on May, in, well, on May the 1st, 1986, he's interviewed by a TV station in Washington. And he's made his desire to come back and fight Hagler public at this point. And he's saying to, to, to the public, I know exactly what it takes to beat the man. So this is where we start to get a lot of interest riding on the fight. This is where we start to get Ray Leonard pushing himself back out there, essentially. But you've got to remember at this point, he'd been out of the ring for two years in 1986. He'd not been competing professionally at this point. And then eventually, in the August of 1986, Hagler announced that he would fight Leonard. And the fight was officially announced at a press conference on November the 3rd. 1986 so finally finally after you know all the talk all the rumors it was going to happen now we've got to remember at this point we didn't have social media we didn't have all the tools that we have today to be able to promote fights in a certain way this was more about news magazines and and newspapers and interviews in newspapers and this is the way fights were were kind of promoted to each other you know someone would say something to a to a a journalist it'd go in the paper that fight would read it and go what the fuck i want a piece of this guy uh, and then that's how it would all sort of come about and that's where all the promoters of course would get involved but for ray leonard he'd been out of the ring for three years three years but this is what everybody thinks everybody thinks about this fight that you know oh ray leonard he'd been out of the ring for three years actually he'd not I don't know if you know know this yourself, but a lot of people didn't realise that behind the scenes, 
when this fight was announced, he actually started having, behind closed doors, exhibition bouts, which had no head guards. It basically wasn't like sparring. It was exhibition bouts behind closed doors, and they had referees involved uh, and everything. It was all legitimate, but it didn't go against his record. It was exhibition, so it would never count on his professional record. So actually... It's something that not a lot of people knew about. Everyone thinks this story behind, you know, Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard is, wow, Ray Leonard was out of the ring for three years and, you know, he comes back and he beats Marvin Hagler, who was the king of the middleweights at the time. But actually, the story behind it is that he was actually having bouts in the lead-up to this particular fight, preparing himself, shaking the ring rust off. And it was something that I was fascinated to hear and read about when doing the research for this episode. I didn't know that, you know, this, this actually happened in the background. I thought the same as what a lot of other people thought, which was, this guy had come back after three years out of the ring and he still got it. That was amazing to me. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, he had one fight in five years um, on the record. But as, as you suggested, absolutely. You know, he uh, he had several real fights behind closed doors with gloves, with rounds and judges and referees with no headgear. Um, there was even a rumour that um, it was never against actually one opponent. So you'd have one opponent in the ring for three rounds or four rounds and then one would leave and the next one would come in on the break. So, you know, he was working his magic behind closed doors. Um, I mean, he, he had been sort of leading Marvin on. Or, he had him on the end of a string for a long time, um, Leonard did. Uh, I mean, even going way back to 73 when, uh, you know, that they were in the amateurs. Uh, there was a host of some top, top fighters in the 73 um, in an amateur competition, the AAU in... Uh, in um, uh, if I remember rightly, I think it was uh, Boston. Um, so you had like the top names like Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler, the Spinks brothers, Aaron Pryor. Um, and it was Hagler that actually won his tournament. He was the only one. He won it at £165. Um, and he actually, that's when he turned pro. He said, right, you know, you can't take a trophy and turn it into a bag of groceries, he said. So uh, win or lose, I'm turning pro. And he went pro straight away. Obviously, we all know that obviously Leonard went on to do what he did in, in Montreal and won the gold medal. You know, on, 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 just for instance, Leonard, on his debut, he earned 40000 Whereas um, Hagler only learned uh, only earned forty quid, or I say forty dollars, I should say. So you know there was there was a bit of resentment there from Hagler. Where he said like I had to learn the hard way, whereas Leonard is like a silver spoon kind of guy. But you know even back in November '82, when you know um, Leonard he, he he decided to hold this charity event in Baltimore, Maryland. Sort of, we actually weren't far from my birthday because uh, Aaron Pryor and Aguero were fighting that weekend as well. Um, not that I remember, obviously I was, <laughs> I was born in '82. But um, you know he made this announcement that you know what, what's he going to be doing? Is he going to be fighting or not? He asked Hagler to come along. Hagler sit in the crowd and you're sort of thinking all the possibilities there obviously I wasn't thinking it but I think the public were that hopefully that they're going to he's going to announce the fight rather than his retirement um, and he starts sort of mentioning that uh, you know Hagler's this great champion and if they fought you know it'd be the biggest fight in boxing history and blah 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 and then he says unfortunately it'll never happen and he just says thank you God bless and that's it <laughs> so it's a bit of an it was a complete anti-climax and Hagler's in the crowd I mean this is 82 this is five years earlier so, so Hagler's thinking well what, what the hell was this all about i mean i mean rumor has it later on years later that you know during his spell out of the ring leonard leonard did become a bit of a you know he, he got on the old cocaine and the booze and he was hanging about the celebrities you know this is the 80s you know this isn't like how it is today this is how it this is how it rolls you know what i mean this is what happened he was booming at the time so you know he's having his own troubles at the time so you know but you know hagler carried on done what he does next you know he, he, he carried held his titles 
Um, you know, he picked up the win against the Derby as, as you know, and in the end, you know, Hagler's sort of debating after that performance, maybe I should knock it on the head. Um, but, but you know, Leonard just continually kept pulling him out. It was, it was actually, I think, I believe it was like a couple of months after the, the Mugabe fight and Hagler's sort of looking and thinking, debating whether he's going to retire. Um, and uh, Leonard actually opened up a restaurant with uh, with with one of his main guys. Um, I always forget the guy's name, and I shouldn't really. Uh, uh, Mike Trainer. So he opens up a restaurant, and he asks Hagner to come along for the grand opening. He picks him up from the airport, and they're sort of sitting there um, having drinks. Um, and sort of Ray's asking, so what are you going to do next? Uh, and Hagler sort of responds, I don't know, Ray, like, I'm finding it hard to get motivated. Um, sort of Leonard responds like, no shit, and just pours him another glass of champagne, because in his head, <laughs> he's putting this wonderful plan together, this master plan that, you know, he's doing, and, and I actually think it was about a week after that he's actually in there doing these sparring sessions, exactly as you mentioned. So Hagler was, uh, I don't know whether he was, you know, <laughs> As I say, it was on the end of a shoestring. He dangled a carrot in 82, and he sort of just continued to do it throughout Hagler's career. Obviously, Leonard, although not active, was was active on HBO as a commentator and a, and a co-presenter. So, you know, he was always there and never back. But, um, yeah, as you say, it was you know, one fight in five years. It looked terrific on paper, but in actual fact, Leonard was waiting for that moment that Hagler would start to decline, and then that was when he was going to call upon him. Are we, so are we suggesting then that maybe he was doing a bit of what f- people say Floyd Mayweather has done throughout the back end of his career, where he's got the fighters where he's wanted him, and he's, he's chosen to fight the fighters at the time where he feels it's going to be most beneficial to him, and that's kind of what it feels like, that's kind of what it sounds like, looking back and, and going through the research of, of what was going on at the time and the stories and you know all the different uh, accounts of what was happening it feels like you know there, there was a, this big carrot dangling but it was all like you say part of a plan to, to lure him into this fight because the thing is with this particular fight not only was it going to be a big fight for boxing but in terms of monetary value it was huge absolutely huge Hagler was going to be guaranteed 12 million plus a percentage of the revenue so that's 12 million dollars plus a percentage of the revenue as well Leonard was also guaranteed 11 million plus 50 percent of the closed circuit television rights in the Baltimore Washington area so this was going to be going on pay-per-view it was a big fight and they got some great negotiations going on there both earning a lot a hell of a lot of money for this particular fight which is why they build it the super fight essentially Hagler actually ended up with about 20 million uh Lennon ended up with about 12 but because Leonard had agreed to let Hagler have the larger purse you know he was the one that was coming off the layoff essentially he was the one that had moved up in the way remember he was a welterweight he was naturally a welterweight so he was jumping up to middleweight so he sort of conceded part of the negotiation to allow Hagler to get paid more and from Hagler's perspective it's quite a smart move looking back thinking about it because obviously if he feels like he was coming to the end of his career at this point he wants the big financial security to to, to move on with his life doesn't he so get accepting the larger purse was probably probably was probably the right thing in hindsight however because he conceded the, the the money aspects of it that meant that Ray Leonard's team could pick the the, the gloves which was a 10 ounce Reyes gloves uh, and the number of rounds as well normally still at this point in time there were 15 round fights going on this actually turned out to be scheduled for for 12 rounds and then he also got the opportunity to pick the size of the ring which was a 20 foot ring which 
was strategically for him the right thing to do as we will go into in the fight breakdown we'll talk about the use of the ring and the use of the movement for for Ray then because that's what he was all about in his career so this was absolutely huge and when it was announced when the interview started taking place it was you know Ray Leonard was as, as cocky and as confident as ever he felt like he was going to come back and he was going to be able to 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 do a number on Hagley, he felt like he'd seen everything that he needed to see to go in there and beat him, and that, and that's what the interviews talk about when they come across. All along, I wanted to fight Hagler, not a career. I didn't want a career anymore because I had a per- quite illustrious career, and I just didn't know how to break the news to the media or to the public to say I want to fight Hagler because they would have been saying what they're saying now. You're crazy. I've been waiting, I tell you, for a long time. And like I said, I think that this is my time, this is my era, this is my day for me to shine. I'm doing something I always felt I could do. It's no surprise to me. Sounds a little cocky, doesn't it? But that's me. I mean, I feel that good. I feel that confident about my progress and about my conditioning. I'm going to stop him. I don't know which round is going to be in. I'm going to stop him. He won't outstrength me. I mean, again, people say, well, Ray, you know, you're, you're a little guy. I'm 30 years old. I'm an old, not old, not old. <laughs> But I'm a much older guy, so I carry my weight fine. You better sit there and get your popcorn early. I told you, your beers and whatever, and sit tight, because this fight don't necessarily have to go 12 rounds. I'd like to take this time to wish Marvin and, and Bertha and their family Godspeed and, and all of that good stuff, because they are truly wonderful people. We've had the pleasure of meeting them and talking with them, and I, I really do like them. They're, this they're man wants nice to knock people. my head off on it. <laughs> that doesn't take away the fact that they're nice people, honey. I he like, wants to I hurt like me them. Bad. But then from Hagler's perspective, he was like, you know, he was all war Hagler at this point, weren't he? So he was, I'm going to knock Ray Leonard out. You know, he was wanting to knock him out. He's wanting, he was wanting to do a number on him and then sail into the sunset with all that money. But he wanted to knock Ray, Ray Leonard out. And Ray Leonard, obviously, you know, he was very brash, uh, a little bit arrogant. And, you know, he came across and... But, Ray Leonard could back things up in the ring that was the difference he could back things up in the ring but no one was expecting Ray to come out of three year layoff and go into the fight and and actually have the opportunity to to potentially win this fight a lot of people were actually thinking Hagler's the one that's on form at the moment Hagler's the one that's got the titles he's the guy that people are fearing in the middleweight division on paper it looks like it's a Hagler win because you know Ray Leonard's jumping up the weights he's been out of the ring professionally for three years and to me on paper you think to yourself yeah that's quite obvious that what's going to happen isn't it but you know it's Ray Leonard and you know what people didn't know is Ray Leonard was training in the background and he was getting himself ready and he was having all these little exhibition fights preparing getting the ring rust off we didn't know about that. This was happening behind closed doors, so it was amazing to look back on and find out all these little intricate stories of of what actually happened. So the build up to it is is so is so good to, to to listen to and so good to hear about that. There's so many intricate details. So moving on as part of the build up, then you mentioned earlier the fight took place at the outdoor arena, Caesar's Palace, which. You, you, you didn't really get to see a lot of that. It seemed to be a, a sort of mid-80s to mid-90s venue where people loved it. I mean, they had, obviously, this fight there. They went on to have a WrestleMania there. You know, it was a big thing back in that period of time. But the ticket prices at the time were $700, $600, $500, $400, $200, $100. And the fight actually sold out in 16 days. And they, they were basically saying they had to turn away some of their better customers because the demand was so great and this is what a Caesars Palace spokesman was quoted as saying so a 
pay a paying crowd of twelve thousand three hundred and seventy nine people generated a live gate of a staggering six point two million. That that's amazing. That sort of money that they generated for this fight at this time. Ah, oh, unbelievable. I mean, I mean, you say that uh, according to Bob Arum that the actual fight grossed seventy eight million dollars. So the money that you know during eighty seven. I mean, this is this is substantial amounts of money. I mean, I, I could I don't even know how much that is in today's money, but it is a lot basically a hell of a lot i mean it was a huge huge fight um you know as you as you as you mentioned before with with, with you know Hagler was a clear favorite he was the favorite he was the betting favorite it was four to one um not many people felt that Leonard had a chance um sort of uh by, by the day of the fight the odds actually fell to, to three to one so you know you could see that slowly people were starting to maybe think well you know this is Leonard we're talking about here this isn't just some some random fella this is a guy that's class in his world class um I mean, even saying that, I mean, this fight for me sort of, sort of put Leonard into that top, top category alongside sort of like Muhammad Ali, if you like, because of, you know, because of the, how long he'd been out of the ring. And just to stay 12 rounds with, with someone like Hagler, who was so ruthless, you know, he's making his 12th title defence, albeit of only the WBC strap because the WBA stripped Hagler uh, because he wouldn't fight Harold Bomber Graham, another one of ours, uh, UK boys, uh, Harold Graham, if anyone don't know who he is, go and check out some of his stuff because he's a fantastic fighter. Um, and he was actually ranked as the number one contender. So, you know, WBA stripped Hagler. Um, the IBF did not, sanction the fight because uh well they refused to because they because basically they weren't ranked so for them you know it was you know it's not a fight they're not going to put their title on the line but obviously if Hagler had lost then he loses the title the title becomes vacant so he's only the one title so although you know Hagler was the undisputed middleweight champion of the world um the WBO was around at the time I believe I'm not 100% sure but it was nowhere near as uh as significant as the other three um, but I mean, uh, even Dan, so, so sort of Hagler. The thing, the, the thing with Hagler was that he was offered this fight after the Mugabe fight, a few months after. And uh, you know, as you as you mentioned, he had that interview Leonard, and he pushed the fight out. And he actually took 109 days turns, you know, to accept the offer. Um, Leonard basically said that it's only because you know he he doesn't fancy it. Uh, and then sort of Hagler come back with you know he, he's been stringing me along for four years. Jesus Christ! You know, I mean, what you know? I think he hasn't won it. Um, but so Hagler actually, you know, went into a 10-week training camp, which is unlikely. Apparently, that was his longest ever training camp. He went into a 10-week training camp and he shut out the press completely. Um, he didn't want anyone to know what he was up to and what he was doing. So again, Leonard playing his tricks. I mean, he knew Hagler. They were friends. They'd known each other for a long time. As I said, like he picked up from the airport to do the opening of his restaurant. They, they had, a, you know, they, they, they were friends in a way. They liked each other. Um, and, I, and I believe Hagler probably felt that you know, Leonard was never going to return. So when he realised he is, he's like, well, I'm going to lock myself away, I'm going to work hard. So Leonard being Leonard, like you said, like the Mayweather tactics, he actually sent in a spy, a guy called uh, J.D. Brown. So he sent a spy for three days and he actually got a picture deliberately taken with Marvin um, just so he could prove to Marvin that he had actually sent in a, a spy to watch him. So <laughs> that pissed off Hagler. He was absolutely, he was for he was just, he couldn't believe that he, again, he's just got this absolutely, you know, this bottle to do this to him. Um, but in actual fact, J.D. Brown actually brought back some useful information. Basically, he said that Mike Weaver, who was a heavyweight around the time, and his, and his brothers, the, the, the Weaver trio, or that they used to call him, were actually spying with Hagler. And they said that he was getting frustrated and was cussing them when they, when they were on their feet. They were, they were on, you know, they were on the run, basically. They were moving about the ring. So it was those type of little twinges that sort of sparked this, this something in Leonard's head and his team. And obviously, Angelo Dundee was a, was a very intelligent trainer. So, 
you know, these sort of, these little bits that happen, you know, and, and this information he's getting back, it's sort of, you know, it, it, again, it just sparked this master plan. Um, and, and the only other thing, the second thing to come out of it was that Hagler liked to take the centre ring from the start of the fight. So if, if Leonard, Leonard sort of had a feeling that if I could go in there and take the centre ring early doors, then maybe he could get himself a substantial lead enough to be able to take the fight. So, you know, it was it was interesting. All those playing mind games, we actually come back with a couple of useful bits of information. Yeah, that's amazing. Another story there that. You might have not just picked up, our, you know, from 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 searching. I mean, I'm sure it's in the depths of the internet somewhere, but it's great to get real insight into into how much you know went on, mind game psychologically went on at the time to to, to push for for this fight to, to be so big. And I mean, what 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 would have happened if we would have had social media for a fight like this? You know, it would have been going through <laughs> the roof. It wouldn't. It? it would have been going through the roof. So going back to the, the obviously careers uh, for for the build up to the fight, you know Hagler had not actually lost a fight since dropping a ten round unanimous decision to Willie Monroe in 1976, and then he would go on to beat Monroe twice in 77. But then he was undefeated for what, 11 years until he obviously met Ray, and we had the fight that we're talking about. But for real, it was a little bit of a different story. I alluded to the fact he was involved in great fights with Duran earlier on in his career with Tommy Hurt. But there was a reason why he ended up having to retire the first time round. He had to retire because he had to have repairs done on a detached retina in his left eye. So when he did return in 1984 and defeated Kevin Howard, he wasn't. The, he didn't. You know, he wasn't the same. He'd suffered the first professional knockdown of his career. So people were looking at it like he's not the same fighter anymore. He's a bit washed up. He's this. He's that. So obviously he goes back into retirement. And as we've been talking about, it's the whole stringing Hagler along for so many years before actually Hagler had had enough and, and, you know, he really wanted this fight. So it had been an amazing journey for both men. And although Leonard had actually been medically cleared for the fight with Hagler, there's a lot of people that felt his safety was paramount and that he shouldn't actually go in the ring with a guy who was was ferocious and, you know, a guy who was hitting so hard and hurting a lot of people. He shouldn't have... Basically, didn't think Leonard was going to go in there and survive against the guy. They felt like he was going to end up, you know, suffering uh, a serious injury, especially to the eye that had, had been rectified. So there was a big potential for and a big risk for, for Ray Leonard really taking that risk to go into there and you know potentially getting a life-changing injury as well which when you think about what what boxing's like today in this day and age you know we've seen people like Kel Brook with his broken orbital bone in his face and on both sides as well with Kel Brook so you know these are quite serious injuries and they do really kind of well they can really affect your career because it's your eyesight of course and you know if they don't clear you to fight then that's that's you over really but Leonard was actually cleared for the fight uh, but a lot of people felt like you know this is a big, big risk going in there with a guy who can punch really hard, who can potentially break your orbital bone, detach your retina again, and, and then you could end up losing the sight in your eye, and you know that's a life-changing injury, then you'd never be able to come back from that. So it was a huge, huge risk that he was going to take. But it was a risk that he felt like it was going to pay off. 
But let's just take a little pause for one moment to give a shout out to the sponsors for BTR Boxing Podcast. It's Bear Attack Boxing, providing high quality boxing gloves, boxing equipment to your suitable needs. You can find them at www.bearattackboxing.co.uk and all over social media. You've got the Fight Pro One gloves, the Pluto gloves, the new Bear Attack Boxing t-shirt range, the inner gloves, the hand wraps, some great boxing products on there. So go and check them out. And also, we've got a little present for you. Because you're a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, we've got an exclusive discount code for you. Now, it's a 10% discount. And all you've got to do is when you're at the checkout and you've got them boxing gloves and that t-shirt in there that you want to buy, go onto the promo code and enter BTR10 for 10% off. And 10% is not something to be scoffed at in this day and age. It can definitely get you a few quid off them high quality products that Bear Attack Boxing are selling. So, as a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, when you buy or purchase something through Bear Attack Boxing's website, in the promo code, enter BTR10 and you will get an exclusive 10% discount off your basket. So please go and take advantage of it. Follow them on social media, Bear Attack Boxing, and it's bearattackboxing.co.uk. Yeah, it, and I, you're right. I mean, that was always the, 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 the problem. I mean, on both sides. I mean, for for uh, for Leonard especially, I mean, I think when he phoned his brother, he told him he's going to be fighting Hagley. His brother said, okay, right. So who are you fighting first? And he sort of said, nobody. I'm going straight in. He was like, are you fucking mad? Because <laughs> he's like, you, know, you need that wall fight, brother. And he's like, no, I'm doing it. So, you know, and, and also before that Kevin Howard fight, there was, he actually had, uh, that fight was rescheduled as well, or postponed, because he actually needed a minor surgery because of, uh, also, there was like a, a loose retina. He had to fix a loose retina in the right eye. So blatantly, there was, you know, he had those issues with his eyes. And then, but for Hagler's side, I mean, what he was, you know, I've read recently, was he was sort of seeing it as, well, actually, although I've been chasing the money, because that's basically what he wanted. He wanted to get that, he wanted to be established. I think after the Hearns fight, he was clearly established. It took him a long time. I mean, you know, winning that first title over here against Alan Minter. I mean, but, you know, it, it, was, it was incredible, really, that it took him as many fights as it was to actually win a title, which if anyone's never seen the Alan Minter fight when he actually first wins that first world title, you know, he stops him on cuts, but the crowd, it's chaos at Wembley Arena. They're literally lobbing bottles and glasses and, and even Harry Carpenter's at ringside saying, oh, getting drenched in beer and the actual police had to escort sort of Hagler and his team out of the ring. So he couldn't even celebrate that victory. But it, it was weird that, you know, he was, it, it just, there was an image about Hagler. He didn't have the same image as a, as a Sugar Ray Leonard. Like, Almost like, you know, people were likened him to like, like a Sam Cooke, you know, that, that nice-looking guy. With, he had all the fundamentals. He, was, he spoke well. So he was easy easy to be able to expose and, and, and to, to just, you know, promote, basically, whereas Hagler wasn't. So it took him a long time. And eventually he gets this big payday after so many years of Leonard sort of dangling his carrot in front of him. And you're sort of thinking, God, you know, he's, in the end, I think he, he, he took him under the nine days to respond because he was like, you know, I'm going to keep him waiting for a little while. But then the other thing, what Hagler said, was that even if I beat him, we're talking about a guy with a damaged eye and it's actually a blown up welterweight, is anyone going to actually really, you know, what this is going to be an asterisk against his name because actually he's beating a, you know, he's basically beating a welterweight in one eye. So he was in a no-win situation, really, Hagler. It was the money that was talking. You know, he was on his 12th defence. He was trying to hunt down Carlos Monzon, 14 defences. So it was really tricky for Hagler. And, you know, Leonard's 
played into that. And, and he, he, as you say, you know, a bit like the moment, he played those mind games and he waited for his moment and he picked it right. And although he did have the eye problem, you know, I think he, he even said himself that his eye was okay. He still don't know. He's all about a devastating guy. Probably, you know, if not the best middleweight in boxing, he's at least in, in your top three because Hagler was an outstanding middleweight. And, Rightfully, he finally started to get you know, his just rewards. But it was interesting to see how this fight was going to develop. Um, and yeah, it was a super fight and it's exactly what it was. And they accommodated the thousands to watch in attendance. And obviously, everyone in, in the closed doors, uh, to watch around closed doors in, in the cinemas and theatres. So great. I mean, we weren't around at the time, but um, well, it must have been absolutely amazing. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Let's look at a couple of little figures then going into the fight before we start talking about the breakdown of the fight. So more than a 1,000 reporters and photographers from 32 different countries received press credentials for this fight. That's the magnitude of how big the fight was, that every man and his dog from every country, from every newspaper, from whatever media outlet was there at the time, wanted to be at this fight. And over a 1,000 reporters slash photographers got accreditation for it, which I thought was you know amazing, really. I mean, you struggle to get it in this day and age, to be honest with you, but then they obviously accommodated the press maybe a little little bit better than what they do today because you know that's a hell of a lot of reporters and photographers to, to be able to accredit for a fight and then also they did a poll of obviously the famous writers around at the time covering the fight 18 of them 21 writers picked Hagler to win but only three picked Sugar Ray Leonard to win the fight and the betting odds were also interesting the betting odds opened as a four to one favorite for Hagler when it was announced but on the day of the fight, it actually dropped slightly to from three to four to one to three to one. And also, Hagler is the number one pound for pound boxer in the world at this point. Not just middleweight, he was the number one pound for pound rated boxer in the world. That was by KO Magazine. That that is amazing. You know, thinking about it on paper, the odds are stacked against Sugar Ray Leonard in this one. Are completely stacked against him. This this is all telling you a story of this is a guy who's going to go in there and be a guy who thinks he's still got something left. And that's what I would have been feeling at the time. If we was doing a preview episode for this particular fight, you'd have been sat there thinking, this is all going to go in Hagler's favour. Hagler's going to probably beat him in, in, in 12 rounds or he's probably going to stop him late on him. It wouldn't have surprised me. That's the type of stuff we probably would have said about this fight at the time if we was covering it for a preview episode. So when you look at it in perspective like that, this is how much everybody has had Hagler winning this particular fight practically you know two two thirds if not more than two thirds of people were saying you know this is this is Hagler's win this is him he's going to put Ray back into retirement this is the end of it and I think he even said it himself Hagler's going to send him back into retirement in the build up to it so you know on paper this was a Marvin Hagler win so the fight itself then Johnston let's talk about it let's talk about how good of a fight this ended up being because it was billed as a super fight, oh, yeah. and it was a super fight. It really was. It, it was a great fight. It was a very technical fight. Um, you know, it, it was it was like the main event of the Four Kings, if you like. You know, we we covered Duran and and uh, Leonard uh, in the early. That, that was like the first fight of them all. And for me, this was like the last one. I know Hearns obviously went on to fight Leonard, but you know um, that was another another great fight. The second fight, but for me, this was like the main event of the lot. Um, and, and it was it was a it was a great technical fight. I mean, for me, you know, Hagler. One thing I noticed straight from the off, 
you know, natural southpaw, and he comes out fighting orthodox, which was which was unusual because he'd done it against Mugabe, where he come out as an orthodox fighter, as a right hander, because he felt that he was going to try and confuse Mugabe, which didn't work. So. I was surprised that he would do the same ta- the same tactic against Leonard. Uh, but Leonard was too quick, too slick. Um, he was dancing, he was moving, he was making Hagler miss. Leonard was on his toes, he was keeping out of danger. And then sort of when when Hagler did get close enough, he would clinch. Um, and it was it was pretty much for the first. I mean, I had for the first four rounds, but you know, I don't I don't want to jump too far ahead. But you know, it was pretty. I wouldn't say easy for 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 Leonard, but but. What, what he did do was, you know, he, he made Hagler work um, and he done all the right things. He used that big ring that, that he decided he needed in the, in the negotiation. First punch by Hagler. Clean miss. Nice combination by Leonard. And Hagler's talking to him and smiling at him. Hagler said he expected to get hit. He just wasn't too concerned about it. I'll take anything he can throw. Leonard has used all of this more than 21-foot ring so far. A brief flurry, no damage. Hagler content to cut off the ring, and Leonard Good right hand. hand. Good right, solid right hand. Now Leonard's boxing southpaw, trying to do a psych job on Marvelous Marvin, and now Hagler's boxing southpaw. Tough to keep up with these guys. There's the shots. Right. Under 30 seconds, round one. Well, Tim, right now, Len- Leonard is floating like a butterfly and stinging like a bee. But can he keep it up? Fainting, moving, moving, fainting. Well, you look at them first four rounds, and he came out, and I think he surprised not only a lot of people in in the audience and, and the journalists, he surprised Hagler, because Hagler, I wouldn't say they underestimated him, but they obviously feel he didn't have enough left to be able to go in there and stick it with Hagler but the way he came out as you said he was moving around the ring he was using that full 20 foot ring to his advantage and he was making Hagler chase him down he was making him trying to cut the ring off and it was interesting that he came out as an orthodox rather than a southpaw. I mean, that obviously quickly changed. Uh, I can't remember which particular round it was, second, third, or fourth. I know they quickly. I think I know they quickly changed it when they realised it really weren't working. But I don't. I think even if he would have started the fight as a southpaw, even for the first couple of rounds, I still think it wouldn't have made a difference to the fight because I think Leonard came out with the intention of of hit and not being hit himself. He was going to go in there and he wasn't going to engage uh, in a war. He wasn't going to bring himself into to Hagler's trenches. He was going to go in there and he was going to use all the advantages and all the skills he had and had built up over the years, regardless of him being out of the ring for so long. I mean, you've got to remember as well, I keep saying this, but we didn't know and people didn't know at the time that Leonard was actually having all these fights behind closed doors. The, the general public wouldn't have known that because there wouldn't have been anyone communicating that out at the time. I mean, if, if, if there was, please correct me if I'm wrong. But as far as I can see from doing the research on this, nobody knew about this other than people in boxing. So the general public who'd paid for this fight, who'd come to watch this fight, they didn't know that Ray Leonard was getting all this training in the background. They didn't know he was competing, essentially. Although it wasn't on his professional record, exhibition bouts are still shaking that ring rust off. And when you were talking about having different fighters in on the same night when he was in the ring... That is that is basically how you get yourself firing sharp again, and this 
best shown on the night. So them first four rounds, he, he just basically mugged Hagler off. He just like <laughs> Hagler's just thinking, right, what I've got to do to get to this guy? I want to try and I want to try and cut the ring off, and I want to try and land. And he just couldn't land, and he was struggling to land. And Ray Leonard just looked so slick and so on point. And you're thinking to yourself in the first four rounds, you're thinking, wow, Ray Leonard's been out of the ring for three years here. How the hell? Is he outboxing Marvin Hagler? Well, he was just he was as smooth as you like, wasn't he? He he, he had that game plan. I mean, I mean, people allude to the fact that he was after the Duran Hagler fight that he started to, to put this plan together. Um, and he actually mentioned to someone I don't know who it was, but the best way to beat Hagler is to do to have fifteen second bursts, and especially those last fifteen twenty seconds of the round to. to to put those bursts on him to, to impress the judges in the crowd and, and he was doing that I mean to say that I mean that weren't until sort of later on the fight but that first four rounds especially I mean he, he, he kept out of his way um, I mean it was even in the break of the second that you know I, I heard Dundee say to him you know you want to be smooth buddy and you want to keep it up you want to keep up your boxing um, and, and that's he, he was happy Dundee it was only Team Leonard that knew exactly what, what his game plan was and it was working like a dream um, I mean I mean, Hagler did change obviously he switched his starts he got a little bit more he improved his performance slightly in the third but as you say it didn't make any difference Leonard was pretty much in control um, the one thing for me, sort of, I noticed sort of around the fourth round was that Leonard slowly, he, he, I wouldn't say he completely stopped. He was tiring slightly. He weren't going to be able to sustain the, the quick feet, you know, after not really being out of the ring for as long as he had, although he had done, you know, he had done the rounds behind closed doors like he did. Um, you know, the fact that the extra weight was going to play its toll, I think I think it did at that point. And, um, you know, it was towards the end of the, the, the fourth round, for instance, that Leonard, but you know, he sort of, he he went up against the rope um, and he, he allowed Hagler to sort of just, just close the gap a little bit. But even then, he was able to just spin out of danger and just throw those flurry of shots, which were eye-catching. Uh, and Hagler was a little bit, you know, he's like a deer in the headlights. He really did know what to do. Uh, and at times, I, I, I can't help but make it, it look like, you know, it like... Leonard was like the matador and, and Hagler was like the flat-footed ball. Um, so those first four rounds in particular were just brilliant from Leonard. And, and you know, who knows? You know, those four rounds were, were massive. Um, and, and Hagler, you know, he started slow. He did start slow, but by the fifth and the sixth, he started to find the range that he was looking for. And Leonard, you know, quite rightly so, was going to start to slow down at some point, regardless of the exhibition bouts he'd been in you know there's no different feeling than obviously being in uh, a professional fight against the best fighter essentially on the planet at the time so it wasn't just like he was fighting guys behind closed doors anymore he was fighting the best fighter on the planet who was not going to stop coming at him he was not going to take a breather this was the work rate of marvellous Marvin Hagler he was always going to be there from start to finish no matter what he was going to hunt you down until he knocked you out or he <laughs> beat you down for 12 rounds that was Marvin Hagler that's what everyone remembers he has but in the fifth and sixth and he starts to come back he starts to get through a little bit more uh and and Leonard's starting to slow down a little bit now obviously you know the stamina is sort of starting to to wean just a little bit and he's taking a little bit of a breather having won them first opening four rounds up by Leonard Hagler's starting to get the range a little bit now yes, 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 yes. Got him in the corner landed a left so just was starting to get the range Conditioning of these two athletes is extraordinary. Hagler stolen right by Hagler. He's starting to get the range, Tim. You can just see it. That, that one forced Leonard to grab it. No question, Gilbert. Leonard 
Leonard stopped on the ropes for the first time in the fight. And then it comes a good body punch. Now he's punching back to Hagler. Then he doesn't belong in there. Getting to the seventh, and the seventh's where we see uh, a clean hook which rocked Leonard, and you can see he started to sag a little bit, and you're thinking, is this the opening moment that Marvelous Marvin Hagler needs? Is this the moment he needs now to get Leonard? So he starts trying to trap Leonard on the ropes, starts throwing the shots in, he's going to the head, he's going to the body, he's looking like he's got Leonard in a lot of trouble, but Leonard, the lucky man that he is. Hagler getting Leonard in a flat foot of position again, but... Good movement by Leonard when the punches arrive. And Corey back. Those were blocked by Hagler. Just flashing. Hagler's landing the solid punches at this time, Tim. And Ray is very tired. You know, Tim, when you're a little tired, you're a little better punching, too, you know. You Hagler's been able to pick off the last several combinations with his gloves. As he did there. And he smiles and laughs at Leonard, it gives him a grin back. Oh, and here we go to Muhammad Ali. A nice combination. Working on the mind of Hagler. And Hagler just keeps plodding ahead Those as he's working like style. Those are the solid punches. Yep. Those are the solid punches. He has Wayne a little trouble now. Bang into the body. Uppercut scored at the bell. They don't hear the bell. The, the bell saved him. The end of the round saved him in the seventh because he was getting a bit of a shellacking in that seventh round. And whilst he was avoiding a few of the punches, he was still getting through. And you start to think to yourself, watching the fight back, it's like, you know, this is where you think it's, it, it could have ended. This is where Hagler's sort of partly best chance was in the fight. So he'd started to pull some rounds back at this point. You know, the fifth, the sixth and the seventh, I, I, w- I would suggest they were Hagler rounds. So at this point, you would have probably Ray Leonard four, uh, a round up at this point. You know, he'd have four rounds. Uh, Hagler took the three rounds after that. Uh, and then obviously as we move on into the fight, it starts to get even more tastier because there's only so long Leonard's going to be able to dance around the ring for and avoid getting hit by Hagler. And as the latter round started to come in, the 8th and the ninth, this is where we start to see some amazing action. Oh, yeah. This is this is where the fight really starts to hot up. Obviously, Hagler starts closing it, closing the fight, you know, get on the scorecards, you know, as you say, he's pulling it back now. Um, so moving into the 8th, uh, you know, Hagler was starting to get impatient. Uh, uh, rumor has it that he says, you know, he started to talk to to Leonard, saying, "Come on, you slug!" And uh, <laughs> uh, Leonard would come back and say, "Like no chance," and be off on his toes again. Uh, but you know, clearly, I mean, even Leonard years later has said that he was actually starting to feel it, and he could start. He, especially you talk about that seventh round, he hurt Leonard, and Leonard said he hurt me that round, and he sort of he pulled that old poker face, and Hagler went back to his corner and when he had a glance over at Hagler and he realised he doesn't realise that I'm feeling it he allowed to he, he was he, he basically just he, he played Hagler he made Hagler think that he was alright so you know he was even in the ring before the fight and in the ring he's playing my games but you know in, in the eighth round I mean Hagler sort of chasing Leonard around the ring for a good sort of for the first 90 seconds uh, of the round when, it, when I was sort of trying to time it um, he was landing to the body landing to the head not much coming back from Leonard. Leonard then would come back with that late burst, which he was obviously alluding to when he had his a, a conversation sort of prior to fight, a, a sort of a couple of years before, 
where he, but he was he wasn't managing to land completely clean. There were some clean, uh, nothing really hurt Hagler, but it pleased the crowd, it pleased the judges, um, and I think that was what he was trying to do. It was almost like you know he was pulling the wall over everyone everyone's eyes. Whereas Hagler's working his ass off, and you know he, Leonard is is he's, he's got the eye catching shot. So, so so some people he's sort of fooling the audience as well. Um, and in round nine. We'll, for me, was the round of the fight. Um, you know, the most exciting round. Um, Hagler, Leonard crossed in the corner. Leonard was in trouble. Um, and then Ferocious tried to fight his way out of the corner. And it just sort of seesawed back and forth for the rest of the round. Both men having their moment. Um, and it was it was a difficult one to call. Um, it could be an even round. I mean, I tend to go with Hagler because I felt he just did the better work. Leonard Warren for holding again by Richard Steele. He's trying to hit the head. The body doesn't move. Just bang to the body. Nice combination by Ray. That was the Left best punch of the fight. Hagler straight best down punch the middle. of the fight. For Hagler. Hagler backing up Leonard into the Leonard corner. Short right uppercut. He's nailing him out, Tim. Right to the chin. That's where he has to put that left hand. Leonard in some difficulty. Hasn't thrown a punch out of this corner. Now he does. Trying to bang his way out. Look at that determination on Ray Leonard. You talk about a champion. What a display. Gritted, absolutely gritted his teeth. Look at him go. Again. In the middle of the ring. And Hagler stays there and punches back. The right by Leonard. What a display, Tim. You talk about a champion, but he's got that solid rock to move, and Hagler just keeps methodically moving forward. What do you think, Sean? How do you think that round nine went? That round nine, I tell you what, that is one of the best rounds of boxing that you will ever see. Now, you've got to look at this whole fight as it was at the time and look at where it was into round nine. So, we've talked about Leonard coming out, winning the early exchanges, winning the early rounds, Hagler starting to pull it back. You're going into the ninth round, you probably, for me, just have Leonard edging the fight. It's a very, very close fight at this stage of the fight. And you have Leonard dare get him backed up now this is the point where if you're a Hagler fan you're like yes he's getting through he's going to get to him he's finally cut the ring off he's finally got him where he wants him and when he had Leonard in that corner man that was just an amazing exchange of punches because Hagler's throwing everything he's got into it he's throwing the kitchen sink at it he's throwing anything he could to get Leonard but the way Leonard fought back and fought out with that corner and spun Hagler around was just beautiful to watch. It was really great. It's pure. It's boxing at its purest where you've got a guy who's, who's coming on and a guy who's able to fight his way out of the corner like Leonard did. And still, even though he, he spun Hagler around, Hagler's still coming at him and Hagler's still going for him and he's still throwing the punches on. He's really pushing for a stoppage. He's really unloading the tank here. And again, Leonard... He's fighting on the back foot, but he's throwing these flurries that are stopping Hagler in his stride. And it was so important that he did that because I think that was a very pivotal moment of the fight for me because I feel like this is where Hagler had unloaded everything he had to give and Leonard was able to just come back with something which was more than enough to keep Hagler at bay. And this is, for me, was where the fight really turned on his head in terms of these later rounds were going to be absolutely vital because it was a very close fight. Uh, For me, at this point, 
point. I know obviously we'll we'll come on to the judges' scorecards at the end, but for me at this point, I found it quite quite close. As in, probably a couple of rounds in it. I mean, I've had I had Leonard probably winning a couple of rounds at, at this, but it was still very very close. So that ninth round was really pivotal, and then obviously the tenth and the eleventh, we we get more of the same. Really, we get more uh, of Leonard trying to control the fight a little bit more. He's trying to steal the rounds, and and you know we've seen him do it this in fights before. We'd seen him do it in some of his most masterful masterful performances where you know he's getting to the the last 30 seconds of a round and he's throwing them combinations and getting out and he's the one that's looking the eye catching fighter and it does look like the matador and the bull because he's getting these flurries in he's walking away the bull as in Hagler's coming at him but not landing anything yeah it's exactly how it was going um I mean I mean for me Hagler they, they had that 10th round off um after that ninth, um, it, after such a hard fought round, as you as you rightly mentioned, sure, it's one of the best rounds of boxing you could watch. I mean, outstanding from both in terms of technical ability and just the amount of will they put in and desire. But um, the constant pressure from Hagler for me, you know, he was he was working Leonard. Leonard was throwing combos back, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough conviction or enough authority for me, in my opinion. So I felt that Hagler started to to to, to nip. Well, I think he won those rounds. I think for me, from round ten, eleven, and uh, 10, 11 and 12. I mean, even from 9, I give it to, to Hagler as well. But I can understand where people would want to go with Leonard um, because of his... He just looked more flashier. He looked more effective. Um, even the commentators as well. You know, it was almost like they were sort of neglecting the work that Hagler was putting in. You know, he was working and, and he was trying to get close. At times he was. He was landing to the head and body and then Leonard would just come back with those eye-catching shots. I mean, in the final round, Hagler's, for me, Leonard thinks he's won the fight. Leonard doesn't do enough in that 12th round whatsoever. So Leonard obviously felt that he had done enough and he was on his bike and basically done that for pretty much that, 12th round, um, Hangler landed to the head, landed to the body. Uh, Leonard came back with a flurry that sort of it looked like it just tickled him more than anything. Hangler <laughs> didn't hurt Hangler in any way whatsoever. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the decision of the judges. We have a split decision. Judge Lou Filippo scores the bout. 115, Marvin Hagler. 113, Ray Leonard. <laughs> Judge Jojo Guerra scores the bout. 118, Leonard. 110, Hagler. And Judge Dane Baruti scores. 115, 113. By the winner, by a split decision, and new middleweight champion of the world, Sugar it was it's, it's difficult. I mean, you can see why people would feel that Leonard did enough. Um, it's a tight fight. You could go either way. I just felt that, you know, for me, the aggressor, for Hagler, he was the champion as well. Um, and I do think at times... When Leonard got tired, I just don't think he did enough. And I, for me, you know, I try to, when I try and score a fight, I try and score it by a minute. Those three minutes, I do it by minute, um, by minute, by minute. Um, and you know, if someone's had two minutes of that round, I'm not going to then go and give it to Leonard for his last 30 second burst. So that's how I scored it. So that's why I felt that Hagler basically won those last three rounds, which won him the fight. But obviously, you know, we'll go into the scorecards later. So I don't know. What was your assessment, Sean? You know, this is where we, we get a good bit of conversation now because I actually felt like watching that fight back, 
I felt Ray Leonard won it. I did feel he won the fight. Watching it back again, this was probably the only second or third time I'd ever watched this fight in my life. And when I watched it, I watched it back and I, I tried to be a lot more objective than what I've ever been before. I think the previous times I'd watched this fight, I'd never tried to look at it from a perspective of trying to score the fight, so to speak. So when I watched it back, I was making a little note of each round and thinking, you know, actually this, you know, because I knew how controversial some people saw the decision. I felt like I needed to, to make sure I got some real insight into this. And by the time the end of the 12th round come, I felt like, I felt like Ray, Ray Leonard had won the fight. I felt like he'd won it by a few rounds. I felt the early rounds, then first four rounds, which we both spoke about, were key to winning this fight because he took them early rounds yeah. uh, and Hagler's game plan wasn't he didn't come out fighting southpaw he come out fighting orthodox second third round he has to change he's already a couple of rounds down at this point as well so then he's having to pull it back and he's having to fight to pull it back and yes he had the champion's advantage but what is champion's advantage you know that's another question it's another can of worms for me ray leonard he, he did enough to win the fight by three maybe even four rounds depending on how you interpreted the fight for me he won the fight the only thing uh, which we come onto the cards now is the only thing that I don't agree with is there was one particular judge who scored the fight 118 110 which I thought was an absolute travesty that that's the part of boxing that still happens today a card in which a fighter has won eight rounds to four rounds that was not the case Leonard didn't win eight rounds of that fight no chance did he win eight rounds of that fight against Hagler's four the the, the most likely scorecard on there that we'll, I will agree with is is the 115-113 card from Dave Moretti that, which he gave to, to Ray Leonard that was the card where you could sit there and say actually yeah you can probably accept that but you obviously feel different you feel like Hagler's aggression was what won him the fight and this is the beauty of it because people interpret fights in a totally different way and I'm normally a guy who loves the aggressive style but as time's gone on I've, I've I've learned to appreciate the art and of the sport and the the hit and not be hit and the way Leonard for me in in them sort of early to mid rounds was able to get in the pocket and get out of the pocket and land the uh, the eye catching combinations was what won him the fight for me it's essentially what won Ray Leonard this particular fight body language at the end of the fight told the story again and I always talk about this with every fight we cover whether it be legendary nights or whether it would be a most recent fight when you see the body language at the end of the fight you can tell that the fighter knows they've won and the fighter that's lost knows they've lost because you just, you just go back to the corner there's no celebrations there's no you know even trying to put on a, a a false sense of the fact that they've won but no Ray Leonard he knew he knew he'd won the fight he knew he'd done enough to win the fight at the end of this so for me Ray Leonard did win the fight and he won it by a couple of rounds it was a close it probably Probably could have been worse for Marvin Hagler should there have been different judges there on the night. But for me, I, I did think Dave Moretti's card for Ray Leonard was the most accurate card on the night. Yeah, I can't disagree with you. I mean, the first time I watched it, I thought it was a draw and I didn't sit there scoring it. I just felt that it was pretty even and I couldn't really call it. Um, you know, even you, you say about body language, I mean, Hagler done this weird dance, which, you know, very uncharacteristic of Hagler. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know they say black men have got rhythm he's got no fucking rhythm <laughs> um, it was dreadful um, so you know 
clearly he's I think he got fooled himself Agler I just feel that uh, maybe he, you know I mean he came out and said that after Zvene embraced he said Lennon said you beat me man um, and then sort of Hagler, that's what Hagler said. And then Lennon come out and said, uh, no, uh, I didn't say that at all. I said, uh, it was a, you're, you're a great champion. Um, and then when the HBO cameras and microphones back, actually, they went in and probably got mimers and you know what they're like. Jesus Christ. And then they, they actually believed and supported Hagler's version of events. Either way, you know, I think the body language is a clear indication of it. Um, I just feel that Leonard sort of, for me, it, it just, I think he pulled the wool over everybody's eyes. I don't think anybody expected Leonard, as you clearly said, in one fight in five years to be able to do what he did against Marvin Hagler. I mean, it shows how great he is as a, as a superstar. I mean, he was outstanding in, in all of his fights, really, apart from the latter stages of his career. But what he did, he did very well. Um, and for me, again, on the other side of it, did Hagler really, you know, he, he didn't put that performance in that he did against Hearns. You know, if he'd have gone in and tried to walk Leonard down as ferocious as he was, maybe we're talking about a different fight here. I think Hagler probably, maybe was a, maybe the mind games just messed with him a little bit because he was very cautious and Hagler wasn't necessarily the most cautious of fighters. And, it, it, you know, that, that didn't work in his favour. So I went one one fifteen, one one thirteen 15 Hagler. So you went the other way. Um, you know, people have called it a draw. It could be a draw. Who knows? I mean, the fight in the end was named Fight of the Year and Upset of the Year by the Ring magazine. So, you know, who knows? I, there was one little uh, story as well. It was Bob Arum. Um, he actually came out as uh, rival promoter Don King, uh, our favourite Don King. Um, he, he was a spectator at a bout and he actually uh, got into a shoving match with Bob Arum <laughs> because Bob Arum prevented him from entering the ring. Um, and then afterwards, he sort of said, uh, that man has nothing to do with his fight. Um, it, there, there's no way he belonged in that ring. <laughs> <laughs> That just shows you, you know, people talk about promoters today and them two hated each other. So, oh, you know, it's a great fight. And it, 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 apart from, as you say, what Jojo Guerrero was thinking, no idea, mate. There's no way that was a one one eighteen, one one ten. I don't know what the hell he was watching. No, he, he, again, when you, when you hear people question fighters about what they would change in boxing, even today, they'll say judging in fights, bad judging in fights. And it was there in that fight. It's been in so many fights that have preceded it. Yes, it wasn't a great scorecard. Yes, it kind of, it hampered the fight just a little bit. It left a a taste in people's mouths because it left the, it left the interpretation that the fight was, was very, very close because it was called a split decision. Now, if that card would have been more realistic and would have gone to the the person that that judge felt had won. So they give that to Leonard at 118-110. If they would have given to Leonard at 115, 113, then the likelihood is it would have been probably accepted more, but it would have been more cause for a rematch because of how close the cards were. So this just made it even more controversial, the fact that one judge, who they weren't happy with in the first place, they weren't happy with you know, this particular judge at, at, at all. So it was... It was ridiculous, really. I mean, what they did afterwards, they they, they basically got the commission. Uh, they had they had a British judge originally, who was Harry Gibbs, who was supposed That's to be right. he was supposed to be the original judge instead of Jojo Guerrero. But what Hagler and his camp had said is they didn't want him as the judge. 
because they favour boxers in a different style. They they favour, you know, like we we say we interpret fights in a certain way. They basically thought Harry mm-hmm. Gibbs, the English judge, was going to interpret the fight in a way that was gonna was gonna favour Ray Leonard. And the irony of the whole story was was that Gibbs had actually watched the fight at home and scored it himself, and actually <laughs> give the fight to Hagler. <laughs> yeah. So it's just it's just crazy. Like it's an ironic story that the judge that they didn't want, who was replaced, was the guy who, if would have been the judge, would have scored it to Hagler. So this would have been a Hagler win essentially. Do you know it's crazy to think that? So we ended up getting the Mexican judge, who was the one that said, "Nope, it was an eight round to four round win for Sugar Ray Leonard." So that's it's quite crazy to think about. You know, we get this all the time with, with judging and bad judging, and obviously that was that was the case. Marvin, Marvin, I know you're incredibly disappointed. What, what's your feeling about the decision? I beat him. I beat him, and he knows it. Everybody knows. I knew it was too close. I told you about Vegas. No Wait. way, no, no way about it. You know. Marvin, he also said that you had K and O in your right hands. You hoped it wouldn't go this far. Well, you know, I figured I was beating him good. You know. Oh, jeez. Now, how about the first two rounds? Gil and I thought that you really gave away the first couple of rounds. By boxing in the uh, orthodox style. I stayed aggressive. I took everything he had. I made him fight. Come on. I took the I won the fight. Well, I know you're tremendously disappointed, but it was a tremendous show, Marvin. This was more than anybody ever expected in terms of a great championship fight. Will you come back? Will there be more for you, Marvin? Will you, will you consider another fight with this one being so close? I don't think with that. I have to talk about it. I have to think about it. Ray, you told everybody you could do this. Most of us thought it was impossible, said it couldn't happen. You were absolutely convinced, weren't you? Tim, I am a nonconformist. I made a comeback. It was defiance of history. They said I couldn't do it. They didn't want me to do it. But you know, know, Tim, this is the greatest accomplishment in my life. Thank you. Well, there's no question that it's the greatest accomplishment of any boxer's life, Ray. You were, here's your mama. You were, you were expected to maybe put on a great show and maybe go a few longer rounds than a lot of people thought, did you really feel that the course of the fight would go the way it did? Uh, Tim, everybody thought. I'm sure you felt the same way. I did. It was an impossible task. Well, like I said, this is the first time a young guy came up against an old guy in a comeback. I prepared myself for one year. Tim, I don't know too much more to say. I need to go home and rest. I know you're going to sleep well tonight. You'll be a little sore, but it's been all worth it. It was all worth it, Tim. And I miss working with you. We really do. You and Gil. Well, are you coming back or are you going to stay in here now? Depends on the contract. But obviously this fight, they wanted a rematch. A rematch was was on the cards. It was talked about a lot. You know, this was this was something that it left a bad taste in the mouth of, of Marvin Hagler. And I know we alluded to earlier on in the episode about, you know, this this potentially could have been in, in Hagler's mind, you know, the end of his career he was coming to the end of his career and, you know, it was a big payday for him all and stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, he, he didn't want to go he obviously didn't want to go out losing. He he probably thought this super fight was going to be the icing on the cake for him, you know, winning against a name like Sugar Ray Leonard and then retiring, but because of the loss, it, it sent a totally different feeling to Marvin Hagler because there was loads of reports that came out after the fight that he was actually involved in widespread abuse of both alcohol and cocaine and that he started to go on a sort of downward spiral from there on outwards after this particular fight. But Hagler come out afterwards... Uh, mums down the line uh, and actually said no 
you know, this never happened, these reports are false. But I can believe that actually happened, to be honest with you. I mean, we've seen it. It's a lot more, there's a lot more openness to that now with, with the likes of, of Tyson Fury, you know, coming out of depression, a depressive state to do what he's done and the way he was open about the fact that he put all the weight on and he was taking drugs and drinking. And th- that back then was totally different. The society was totally different. So if he was doing that it would have probably been done behind closed doors but i can't believe it i can't believe that could have happened because this was a bad loss to take for him really it was a difficult loss to take for him probably the worst one of his career and i think he's even said it was the worst one because you got to think about the fact he had lost fights before he wasn't unbeaten he didn't lose an unbeaten record in his fight he'd, yeah, he'd been unbeaten for 11 years but he'd lost fights before but this was a really difficult loss to take for him ah oh, he really didn't take it very well um i think leonard sort of contemplate well he, he tried to push for a rematch and it was Hagler that sort of said do you know what no I'm not interested um, he said at one time oh, I would have taken tapped his hands off but no and, and he still to this day believes he won the fight I still I think he won the fight um, it's, it's difficult I mean I mean, you mentioned the judges situation I mean how funny is that that you know just that one decision from Hagler's team has actually impacted on Hagler's career because if Hagler had won that fight then what you know? What would we be talking about? Would Leonard be as great as people were suggesting? It's, it's interesting. But uh, there is there is one. I mean, Hugh McIlvenny, Um I don't know if you know for people that don't know, he actually passed away this year. But um, Hugh McIlvenny was a, a great writer, and he actually um, headlined this fight as the illusion of victory. He said like another view of Leonard Hagler uh, decision. Uh, for him, he pointed towards the fact that Jojo Guerrera and Lou Filippo's conflicting scorecards are basically stating that bad decisions have no boundaries. So basically, basically says uh, the simple truth is that at this stage um, of its long and erratic history, prize writing is still nowhere near establishing any consistency, uh, consistently accurate means of measuring performance. If the comparative effectiveness of two fires is so difficult to collaborate or so open to, um, to, to subject, subjective interpretations, then Guerrero and Filippo can contradict each other as outrageously as they did, then even when everybody stays honest, boxing clearly carries a far higher risk of recruiting injustice than any other sport. Basically, he's just saying that, you know, when the judges talk about focusing on the paramount criteria on identifying effectiveness, aggressiveness, clean punching, ring generalship and quality defence, they're merely emphasising the complexity, perhaps the impossibility of the exercise. And I think he's bang on. I mean, he's, he's you know, he, he's put this out in such a, you know, a great way that it is true. I mean, that is, that is boxing as a whole. I mean, it is so erratic. Someone can be, you know, that they, one minute you could, as you say, we go one way, then whatever, someone goes the other way. But to, to, to score a fight has, you know, as badly as sort of Jojo Guerrero did, um, it's difficult. You know, he's, he's trying to be honest. He's being honest, but yet it's hard for us to be a, to, to be clear in terms of who's won the fight. At times, it's a little bit lopsided. Uh, other times, it's pretty clear. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's spot on in terms of what Hugh McIlvenny said. He also went on to, I'm going to go on too much about it because I'm not going to go word for word because it is quite a long article, but he basically saying, looking with Leonard, he describes Leonard as looking and moving so much better than anyone had a right to expect. Leonard was in a position to exploit the Schulberg factor this phenomenon, a compound optical illusion, 
may not have been discovered by Bud Schilberg, the novelist and fire, um, Africanado, uh, but he receives credit here for pointing out to a few of us who were who were asking ourselves how Agla came to be so cruelly misjudged. Bud's reasoning was that people were so amazed to find Sugar Ray capable of much more than they imagined that he persuaded themselves he was doing far more than he actually was. So. He's basically saying that it was like an optical illusion. <laughs> I think it's just a great way of describing the fight because I scored it in Hagler's favour, that he could use those last flurries to, to fool everybody to actually think that he's won the round. Um, I mean, this is just my opinion. I know obviously you see it differently, Sean, but I think in terms of what he's saying, he's pretty spot on. You know, it is an a optical illusion. Uh, it's an illusion in terms of how we score things in general in judges and and, and he used that and he said the only other person that did was, was Muhammad Ali because like with, you've mentioned he was still rounds at the end and there's only two fighters ever done that and that's Sugar Ray Leonard and Muhammad Ali and how great are they exactly and I agree with the whole obstacle illusion uh, of fights it, it is definitely something that happens a lot and it's always happened and there's only people there's only certain people that can pull it off and obviously them two names that you mentioned are two people that pulled it off to a T and it's not gonna. He's definitely not gonna sway my uh, sway my decision <laughs> on what I think about the fight. Don't get me wrong. I still feel watching it back again, watching it with a more objective view, with a more educated view. I still feel like Leonard won the fight, and maybe it was the optical illusion of throwing them flurries in and making it look like he was doing more than what he did. And I mean that that's obviously the beauty beauty of of. Sugar Ray Leonard and what he was able to do but for other people it was like no you know he, he didn't really do as much as what you said he didn't land as many of the punches or the punches landed uh, on more gloves and elbows than he did actually connecting and I can understand why people's justifications are, uh, are behind that but then people you could argue he was aggressive he was this he was that you could go and talk about this subject until the cows come home it was so it's so subjective about what people think about it and you look at some of the media scorecards from the particular fight it was very mixed you had a lot of people giving it a draw you had a few people giving it to Leonard a few people giving it to Hagler so it was it was a very mixed bag of tricks really and some some of the rounds uh, some of the scorecards were like 117 112 and then you'd have ones as close as 115 114 so everybody interpreted that totally different in the fight everybody who watched that fight had interpreted it in a certain way you've interpreted it in the way where you felt Hagler had done enough I'd interpreted it in the way where I felt Ray Leonard had done enough some people watch it and think that was a draw so it's it's the fight that creates the debate and it'll it'll be a debatable fight for a, a very long time to come but it also won a couple of accolades this particular fight it was actually named fight of the year and upset you by, of the year by the ring magazine and then later on down the line it was actually named the upset of the decade so it was that well regarded as a fight in general throughout the 80s because it was like I said at the start of the episode it's a super fight it was billed as a super fight a lot of people didn't think Ray Leonard would come in there and, and, and kind of hang it and do what he did in the fight and he did and he managed to, to, to win the fight on the scorecard so quite rightly it was it was nominated and won upset of the decade and you know it's a fight that wouldn't be in the legendary night series and it wouldn't be something that we would be talking about if, if there wasn't some objectiveness and you know controversy around it and that's the beauty of, of this particular fight it was fantastic there was two parts to the fight there was the part where Ray Leonard looked like you know the, the the sublime boxer that he was and then you had the second part where you felt like it was the the, the, the boxer puncher in 
in Marvin Hagler, and it was just it was uh, it was something great to watch. I mean, I can't find the, the probably the, the correct words and the right words to give it justification and do it justice. But for me, it was it was one of them great fights. It, it was great for a different reason, not because it was all action all the way through the fight. It was because it was it was different styles in the fight there was different technical aspects of the fight and then there was all the controversy at the end and the stuff that we've spoke about on the episode so for that reason for me it's been a really enjoyable episode to cover and a really enjoyable fight to cover because there's been so much more intricate detail to talk about in this fight than there has been in some of the others because you think about what we've covered off and some of the others are just a case of they've been fighting in a phone box or it's been very one-sided or there's been a spectacular knockout or comeback this was so technical this fight it was there was so many different sort of stages to it uh, and so many intricate details in the build-up in the aftermath that it's what makes it such uh, an overall legendary night for me oh absolutely it was, it was just brilliant legendary night a great fight to cover and as you say you know not only was the fight very a, a great watch um you know it was basically the end of the four kings for me as i say i mean obviously uh, leonard went on to fight Holmes for the second time but that wasn't at their peak um I mean, you're talking about for me hagler was the I mean, I'll always probably just tip Mons on, but then there's more coverage of Hagler. So, you know, you're looking at stuff that you, you're reading, really, um, not as much with Mons on. But um, you talk that, you know, he's up there, one of the best middleweights in the world. Um, you know, you can go through it. I mean, Duran was one of the best lightweights, and Leonard was probably the best welterweight at the time. And, and for me, the light middleweight was Hearns's. So, you know, these four guys were exceptional. And, the, the, you know, the Hagler and Leonard fight, was was almost like the fight to suggest who was the best of the four, if you like. Um, it is a tough to call. I mean, I think they're all great in their respective divisions and they all fought each other at some point. Um, but, you know, what a fight to cover. It really was. And there's so, as you say, there's, there's all these little bits of detail um, that we've tried to squeeze in as much as we can um, without trying to waffle on too much. But, you know, these, these are great. Just you're talking about two two fantastic fighters that put on a fantastic show, and it's up for debate. With you know, my advice is any of the listeners out there go and watch the fight, make your own opinion. You probably can't have something completely different. I doubt you'll have a JoJo Grand card, um, but you will probably have something like me and Sean's where we go either way. But you know, if any other thing I say is you know, if you ain't got the Four Kings DVD, go and pick it up. You can watch all their fights. You know, there's a book out as well um, with. Uh, by George Kimball, and then you've got the Sorcerer at Caesars by Steve Morantz, which, which discusses, you know, like the, the big con, a bit, bit like what Hugh McAvenny mentioned, the illusion. Um, he mentioned it as a big con in terms of how he conned Hagler. So, you know, there's a couple of books out there. There's, there's so much information out there you can look at and read about and watch, and there's stuff on YouTube. It, it's just the whole, everything about, the whole package, you know, is it, just everything. With Leonard, I, I think this shot him to superstardom for me. This fight in particular made Sugar Ray Leonard what he is. Um, the one thing I did notice as well, which I haven't said, was uh, uh, Ray Charles Leonard was his name. So he's named after Ray Charles. Ray Charles actually sang the national anthem before he came out to the brawl in Montreal. I think that was right. It was even out of the second one. Um, and Ray Charles wasn't even named Ray Charles. Ray Charles actually called Ray Robinson. So in actual fact, you've got a Sugar Ray Robinson, a link between <laughs> two of them. I just found that really interesting. It's just a, a point I thought I'd just throw out there. But um, great fight and great to talk about. Tonight was a special accomplishment for me. And I respect everyone's opinion and personal viewpoints of the fight. But this fight meant the world to me. I'd like to extend a congratulations to marvelous Marvin Hagler for giving me the opportunity to make history. All right. All Thank right. you, John. All right. All right. 
Yeah, 100%. And for all the listeners out there, you, I'm sure you'll have enjoyed listening back to this one. If you've not already seen the fight and it's the first time you've heard about the fight uh, broken down in this way, then please go and watch it. Please go and watch it and come back and tell us what you think of the fight, of the build-up, of the details we've talked about in the build-up, of the scorecards at the end, how you scored the fight. I'd be really interested to hear different people's opinions on this subject because it's uh, it's been debated now. Look, I mean, we're in we're in what 2019, so it's what it's over 30 years, 32 years since this fight took place, and we're still sat here talking about it. And and we still sat here having different opinions about how the fight went down and who won the fight, and that's what it's left. It's left for me a lasting legacy uh, of a great fight, controversy, uh, and the end of the best part of what the Four Kings were. You know. Obviously, as you said, Ray Leonard and Hearns in the aftermath would go on to fight later on down the line in 89. But for me, this was where everybody, would I would say, was at the pinnacles of the career. Although, obviously, Ray Leonard was coming back after a layoff, of course. But, you know, I don't think he was ever the same after this particular fight. I think after that, it was a case of, yeah, he went on. He still went on to do some decent things in the sport. I'm not going to deny that fact. But I feel this is where they were all at the very, very best. And this was the last last time we'd ever see Marvin Hagler in a boxing ring he retired and he was adamant he was never going to come back to a boxing ring and my word did he stick to it that is that is a man with integrity and that's a man with pride for him to be able to stay out of the ring he was only 32 when he when he made the decision to retire as well so he could have probably gone on for maybe another two years maybe and, and still been involved in some of some of the other great fights that were potentially down the line for him but he decided you know he didn't want to come back because he felt jobbed and he felt robbed in that particular fight and he was he was adamant he weren't going to come back and fair play to him for doing it and he's he's led the life he's wanted to lead so fair play and for Ray Leonard obviously like I say he went on to to have fights with Daniel Londe which was a strange one we spoke about in the past where there was super middleweight and light heavyweight title on the line at the time strange one to go and look back on but go and do it and then obviously he had uh, some great fights in there with, with Tommy Hearns for a third time so there's, there's, there's lots to look at between both men and you know this, this particular fight will, will last in the, in the memory of a lot of people and for new fans for guys that maybe are are only in the very early 20s maybe late teens and you've never really had the opportunity to, to watch this fight go and watch it because you're missing out on some great skill and ability and will in a fight and go and see it and go and tell me what you think about it tell us what you think about the fight tell us what you think the scorecard should have been because I'm intrigued to see how many people come back with a Hagler win or a Leonard win or a draw I'd love to tally it up so if you've listened to this episode please go and do that please go and watch the fight and tell us who won the fight in your opinion and I'd like to tot it up and see how many people actually scored it to either fighter because it'd be very interesting even now 32 years later what people actually think about the fight and how they interpret the fight and it'll be uh, really good to, to discuss at a later day but that's it then that is the episode so thank you so much for everybody that listens to the podcast thank you so much for covering of all the ratings and reviews and all the likes and shares and everything you do for us on social media the messages we get we really really appreciate it and i want to give a big shout out to to emma b as well emma b our first patron 
so thank you so much for that Emma you know we really really appreciate you and if anybody's not already seen the Patreon program go and check it out you know we're, we're trying to we're trying to push ourselves onto this next level and this is an opportunity for you guys to be more involved in the podcast to commission an episode just to even get a shout out on the podcast or get your name in the credits of, of an episode there's, there's there's things on there that can that can give you that opportunity to do that for a very 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 small fee to commit to it really really helps us go to that next level so if you've not already seen the patreon go and have a check out of it it's there you can find it on bt our boxing podcast facebook page and you can find it on the twitter account go and find it on there subscribe to us if you've not already subscribed to us and leave us a rating and leave us a review because they really help us go up the rankings in particular with itunes and apple podcasts but if you're a podbean user or you use any other podcasting app even if you go and put a little rating in there anybody that also uses that same app looking for boxing podcasts will see that this is a rated boxing podcast and they're more likely to come and listen to it and that's see some of the quality work that comes out of it so sorry for rabbiting on but thank you so much for listening as always thanks very much and we'll see you next time and right now Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard backs up against the ropes this is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport the first loss a tremendous victory Leonard fighting off the ropes it happened it happened number cut by Douglas down goes Tyson Wilson right hand shot Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.